Zuma, and Marangeli Gonzalez. There will also be time for prayer and adoration. Admission is free. Bring the whole family for this spiritual event. For more information, call 713-236-9977. Deacon Glenn Trahan here, owner of the TRW family of companies and proud sponsor of the Guadalupe Radio Network. For 60 years, TRW has helped our clients to optimize the use of their facilities with operable wall products, creating effective, flexible, and acoustically controlled workspaces, making them more productive and successful. And TRW is committed to supporting ministries that also make our community and our world a better place, just like this Guadalupe Radio Network station. You can contact me at trwfamily.com. God bless. Hi, this is Larry Massey, owner of HolyBears.com and proud sponsor of AM 1430, KSHJ Houston, Catholic Radio for the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston. The saint refused, and even after torture and imprisonment, eventually the king ordered him to be drowned in the river. As John's body hit the water, five stars appeared as a miraculous sign witnessed by the people. The queen confronted the king with the miracle and leaving him disturbed. St. John became a revered saint and was canonized in 1729. St. John's life exemplifies unwavering fidelity to the sacramental seal of confession, even in the face of persecution and martyrdom. His martyrdom serves as a reminder of the importance of serving the sacredness of confession and the need for true Catholic fidelity in times of spiritual crisis. St. John Nepocene, pray for us. Good morning to you. Praise be to God. It's good to be here. You know, I was interesting talk, thinking about the saint being a, having a association with the sacrament of confession because we're actually planning on talking about confession in the next hour. In the next hour, I'm reading uh, through Frequent Confession by Father Bauer, and we're going to go over venial sin. We're going to talk about venial sin because, you know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine uh, maybe a week ago, about a week ago, and they were making the comment about, you know, venial sin is not that big of a deal, and they always, it's okay if it's just a small sin. And I was like, mm, well, we should really not be trying to do any sin. Maybe I get it. I get it. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But uh, we shouldn't be trying to or excusing venial sin. And we should recognize that when we fall, we need to get back up and uh, do better and try to avoid sin in the near occasions of. So I think I I, that's we're going to talk. That's what we're going to talk about in the next hour. I just thought that was interesting connection with the saint of the day, unplanned, but I guess it was planned by divine providence. But joining us in, uh, is our producer. Good morning to you, Tito Edwards. Good morning, Adrian. Wow, what a great day today's Tuesday. I'm looking forward to that discussion on venial sin and frequent confession. I can't tell you how many times I go in to uh, the confession box and. Uh, I'm so ashamed and so difficult to repeat the same sins. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I, I know we shouldn't do this, but I go to a different parish if I have the same <laughs> venial sin or mortal sin. I am just too embarrassed to repeat it to that same priest. So there, that, that I need to rectify. But yeah, uh, what a good day. What a good show we have today. So glad to see you, Adrian. It is going to be a gorgeous day. Yeah, see, I don't have that problem because... Uh... I just go behind the screen, and I don't. I'm like 90% sure Father has no idea who I am. 
You sure? But, uh, <laughs> Even with your voice disguised? I, I, I think I, I think I'm good. I think that he has no idea who I am. So uh, that's the uh, there's a perk right there. At uh, 15 past hour, we're going to talk about the TSA using facial recognition software. That's very concerning. And the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota allows trans-identifying persons to go to the dorms that they identify as. That makes sense, right? Mm. Yeah, that, that whole sentence made a lot of sense. We're going to talk about that at 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour, Aaron Sang with Tradivox is on with us to discuss Catholic catechisms. Very interesting. I honestly, I love the Tradivox series. I read it uh, constantly, and I think it's really good. So we're going to talk about that at 30 past the hour. And then, as I said before, in the next hour, we're going to be talking about frequent confessions. Specifically, uh, we're going to be talking about venial sins. And as always, we have our Fear and Trembling game show with a prize from Catholic Answers Press. Thank you very much to Catholic Answers Press for being the sponsor of the game show. Uh, But let's begin in prayer. We're praying for your intentions, whatever it is that you have going on in your life. We pray for the overcoming of sin and vice that we avoid all the near occasion of sin. And we pray to the Blessed Virgin Mary. We pray for our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those we've promised to pray for. We pray the Subtuum Presidium, an ancient prayer, third century prayer dedicated to the Blessed Virgin. And we'll pray this prayer in Latin and then in English. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Subtuum Presidium Confugimus Sancta Dei Genitrix Nostra Deprecationis Ne Despicias in Necitatibus. Sera periculis cuntis libra nos semper virgo gloriosa et benedicta. We fly to thy protection, O holy mother of God. Despise not our petitions and our necessities, but deliver us always from all dangers, O glorious and blessed virgin. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Thank you very much, Adrian. Good morning to you. You are listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. Today is Tuesday, May 16th, 2023, in the year of our Lord, and these are your headlines. CatholicCulture.org and the San Diego Tribune is reporting Cardinal McElroy of the Diocese of San Diego will file for bankruptcy. Diocesan officials have disclosed the bankruptcy file. Filing, which is likely to occur in November, is prompted by scores of sex abuse lawsuits filed after a California law enacted in 2019 that extended the statute of limitations for such suits. San Diego will become the 31st U.S. diocese to seek bankruptcy protection in the face of sex abuse lawsuits, unless another diocese files in the intervening months. CatholicCulture.org and Campus Reform are reporting pro-drag students were harassing Catholic student protesters at a Jesuit university. The incident took place at Loyola University of Chicago, the site of the drag show. Quote, the level of blasphemy which Loyola allowed for and directly funded with student dollars was intolerable and abominable, said a student at the Jesuit College. The protest served primarily as a message against this as well as a message against Loyola's continual disregard for its own mission clauses and for the authority of the bishops, and especially the Vatican. Catholic News Agency is reporting... Pope Francis said Friday, a society's birth rate is a key indicator of the hope people have in the future. He said, the birth of people, in fact, is the main indicator for measuring the hope of the people. If few are born, it means there is little hope. 
And this not only has repercussions from an economic and social point of view, but also undermines the confidence in the future. And finally, Breitbart News is reporting Representative Elise Stefanik of New York said that the special counsel John Durham's report about the origins of the FBI's investigation into former President Donald Trump's 2016 campaign revealed a criminal abuse of power that went up to the Obama-Biden White House. Durham's long-awaited report was released on Monday and concluded the FBI should have never launched an investigation into the Trump campaign. The report also detailed how former CIA Director John Brennan briefed former President Barack Obama and his top national security officials on the matter. Brennan briefed the Obama administration on the alleged approval by Hillary Clinton of the proposal from one of her foreign policy advisors to vilify Donald Trump by stirring up a scandal claiming interference by Russian security services. Those were your headlines this morning. God bless you all. The Gospel of the Day comes from John chapter 16, verses 5 through 11. If I did not tell you of it from the first, it was because I was to be still in your company. Now I'm going back to him who sent me. None of you is asking me, where is thou art going? So full are your hearts with sorrow at my telling you this. And yet I can say truly that it is better for you that I should go away. He who is to befriend you will not come to you unless I do go. But if only I make my way there, I will send him to you. He will come and it will be for him to prove the world wrong about sin and about rightness of heart and about judging, about sin they have not found belief in me, about righteousness of heart I am going back to my father and you are not to see me anymore. About judging, he who rules this world has had sentence passed on him already. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. A few things here from Cornelius Lapide. Here he says, But these things I said not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. Christ here answers an implied objection of the apostles. Why did you not tell us this at the first, when we might see whether it were expedient or not for us to follow thee? He answers that he did it purposely, both because they could not as yet understand these things, and also because he was with them to guide and protect them. But that now, when he was about to leave them to themselves, he would still strengthen them by his grace, and enlighten them by the Holy Spirit, whom he would send them. Morally, hence, learn that God does not, in the beginning, reveal the difficulties, temptations, and trials of those whom he calls, lest they should shrink back. But when they are confirmed and strengthened in their calling, he sends them upon them, or permits them to be sent by the world, the flesh, and the devil, in order to train them as his soldiers for the battle that thus they may learn to conquer, and that he may crown them as conquerors. As it was said in Exodus thirteen seventeen to the Hebrews on going out of Egypt, for this reason he perseveres novices in religion. He preserves novices in religion from temptation to soothe them with spiritual consolation, as a mother gives suck to her infant. Now this is very interesting to me. I think this is a great passage for us to keep in mind, because... Sometimes we kind of get discouraged, right? 
I think that's going to be the, the confession is going to be the theme of today. The thing here says that when we have temptation, when we're besought by the world, the flesh, and the devil, this is a sign that we are spiritually maturing. And this is said by many priests when they say things like, oh, yes, if you are in the realm of the devil already, he has no reason to tempt you. Because if you are already doing the will of the devil, if you're already doing wicked and evil things, well, why would the devil try to lead you astray? You are already led astray. You are already his servant. And so when we have these temptations, we should recognize these as our Lord has let us know that we are ready for the battle, that we are being trained for the battle. Are we being thrown into the battle? Whereas at first, things are, we're getting these consolations when we're new to religion. We are very excited about things, but those things pass away because those things are the, the beginnings as what God gives us to make us ready to move forward, to go stronger. All these things are very similar in the religious life and, and most things that we see, most things when we sign up for things, they don't throw us into the deep end immediately. They try to acclimate us to it and give us the joys and the goodness of it for the bad times will come. Now here in verse 9, he says, Of sin, because they believe not in me, he will convict my enemies, both Jewish and Gentile unbelievers, both of the great sin of unbelief and of every other sin, for refusing to believe in me after the many reasons they have heard and the miracles they have seen. For the Spirit will bring home to them the state of their soul, both outwardly by earnest preaching, by the sanctity of the apostles, and the miracles he will work through them and inwardly by enlightening their minds by his inspiration, so that they will acknowledge even against their will that they are in their former infidelity in other sins, and they cannot be liberated for them except by faith in me, which they refuse to accept. For he will demonstrate to them that there is no other Savior who can atone for sin but myself. And consequently, though many were moved by his preaching of the apostles, yet others by persisting in their unbelief became inexcusable, and worthy of damnation and hell. Now, this is very important because, yes, our Lord will judge. Our Lord will come to judge, and he will judge the Jews and the Gentiles, for uh, both of them will be unbelievers because our Lord provided everything necessary, everything necessary for conversion, both in the life of him, but also in our day, in our time. Every single person is given sufficient grace to come and join the one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Should they refuse, should they reject, it is inexcusable and worthy of damnation and hell. When we come back, Aaron Sang with, uh, oh, actually, no, we're going to talk about the TSA. Hey, Donnie, what are the mysteries that we pray on the rosary? Glorious, luminous, joyful, and There you go. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. What's the primary reason you chose your present church? Doctrinal positions, your family's church, the pastor, church friendliness, dynamic youth ministry? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, statistics. A survey showed that 87% of those who attend a non-Catholic church choose their church because of the senior pastor's sermons. Secondly, the reason for Catholics, this comes from Canon Law 518, which says, as a general rule, a parish is to be one which includes all the Christian faithful of a certain territory. And thirdly, my response, the average span of a mature Christian staying at a non-denominational church is between 18 and 24 months. Why such a short time? You know the reason. They came because we love the pastor and his sermons. He's so relatable and so current. Whoops, now they're tired of relatable and current, so just go down the street. They found some new relatable and current. Oh, the alluring draw of charisma. Fortunately, at a Catholic church, the sermon is not the central moment. Do you know what is the central moment? Body and blood. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. You know, there are a couple stories that are very interesting to me that I think we should definitely be keeping our eyes on because these stories are only going to get worse. Our big state, our big brother is watching out for us or maybe just watching us. And it's something that we should keep in mind. Now, I despise the TSA. I think the TSA is like the worst thing ever. And when I become king, I will be abolishing the TSA. Yes. And the TSA, according to their own records, they have a horrible success rate of like <laughs> catching the criminals or catching people trying to sneak things in. I think they. I saw that they had like a 5% success rate or something crazy like that. Um, but the TSA is is not is not is very useless. It's very useless. We're finding out that uh, they've caught statistically zero people who were potential terrorists, and it's it's very uh, concerning because we have this this incredibly powerful bureaucracy that can just steal things from you, uh, but by for any reason whatsoever, just by because you want travel. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to the airport. I don't even travel that much. But when I do travel, always they take something from me. This last time I traveled, when I went to California, they took my razor and my shaving cream. And I was like, dude, like, okay, good job. You saved the day. You uh, prevented me from shaving. And then on my <laughs> way back, they took my shaving cream again because I bought shaving cream while I was there. And they took it again. And if you have a, God forbid, you bring, try to bring water. Um, they would take that from you. If you bring certain kinds of food, they'll take that from you. If you try to bring peanut butter, they'll take that from you. Uh, all sorts of things. I've had knives taken from me. People might say, well, you shouldn't bring a knife to an airport. Why? Why? I can bring a knife on a train. I can bring knives in taxis. That's uh, Why can't I bring a knife onto the plane? Because don't, don't give them any ideas, Adrian. Well, well, this is the problem. They need The TSA needs to be abolished because they don't actually serve a purpose except providing an illusion of safety. Now, this story out of the Daily Wire is very concerning, though. TSA rolls out facial recognition technology test at several major airports. So now they're violating our privacy by uh, looking at our, by keeping track of our images. The TSA is testing the use of facial recognition uh, technology at airports across the nation, a move that the federal agency claims will help employees more easily identify travelers. Yes, I'm sure it will. 
Passengers may soon find themselves in a security screening line where they are asked to place their identification into a slot and look into a camera. After which, a small screen will take their picture and flash the words photo complete, permitting the traveler to continue through the security process without handing their identification to an employee. The technology is currently in use at 16 airports throughout the country, such as Atlanta, Boston, Dallas, Detroit, Los Angeles, Miami, Orlando, Phoenix, and Salt Lake City, according to a report from the Associated Press. Passengers are allowed to opt out of the pilot program conducted by the TSA, which is a branch of the Department of Homeland Security. TSA employees in the security lines of the technology, which examines whether the identification is real and whether the identification belongs to the traveler, will nevertheless be present to ensure that the system reaches correct conclusions. The test of the technology comes despite a February letter from five members of the Senate, including Senator Bernie Sanders and Senator Jeff Merkley, who expressed concerns over reports that the system could be implemented across the United States as soon as this year if deemed successful. The lawmakers contended that facial recognition technology represents a risk of civil liberties and privacy rights. If we are concerned about the safety and security of American biometric data in the hands of authorized private corporations or unauthorized bad actors, the letter continued, as government agencies grow, their database of identifying images, increasing large databases will prove more and more enticing targets for hackers and cyber criminals. Federal entities already leverage facial recognition technology in various capacities, despite the privacy and security concerns. A report published last year by the Government Accountability Office found that 18 out of 24 agencies reported using facial recognition systems in the fiscal year of 2020. This is very, very concerning. And we're only going to see a rise in these things. Senator Ed Mackley, who also endorsed a letter, previously criticized Amazon's smart doorbell company, Ring, after the firm provided law enforcement the videos from the user devices in emergency scenarios, making good faith determination that there was an imminent danger of death or serious physical injury involved in the situation. The lawmaker said that the policy justifies passage of his facial recognition and biometric technology moratorium act, which would prohibit state and federal entities from accessing American sensitive data. Now, other state and local governments have been have indeed banned biometric recognition technology. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxson filed suit last year against Google and Meta for breaches of state laws which prohibit technology firms from using data such as iris scans, fingerprints, voice prints, or records of hands and face geometry for commercial purposes without permission. Now, I'm glad that they're doing that for Google and Meta. What about the government? What about TSA? What about Homeland Security? They can just violate our rights whenever they want. They can just invade our privacy whenever they want. Is that, is that how this works? Uh, let, let's flesh this out. What happens is a TSA is going to share that with the FBI and CIA and, and NSA, and they're going to keep track. They're going to be tracking U.S. innocent U.S. citizens. And number two, the whole idea behind the TSA was to prevent uh, a, an attack of hijacking the plane. Prior to 9-11, the protocol was always cooperate with the hijackers because they just wanted to make a demand, land the plane, get what they want, and fly out on a helicopter. Now we know that they, they can hijack the plane and use it as a weapon. The best thing to do, lock the cockpit. You don't Which need we the, do. 
which we do now, but we don't need the TSA anymore. There's no need for the TSA. We can go back to pre-9-11. So the, those are the two points I wanted to share. No, yeah, no, that's a great point because you're right. I mean, the, the number one prevention of hijacking planes is, one, don't negotiate with terrorists, and, two, lock the cockpit. As soon as you do those two things, well, sure, there could be damage that's done to the people in the plane, but that's about it because you won't be able to hijack the plane. It would be impossible. So, and my, uh, and by the way, my razor blade would not open the cockpit, just <laughs> for, for the record, just for the record. Uh, so it's, it's very silly. The, the whole system that yeah. we have with TSA is very silly. It doesn't prevent anything and it should be abolished. And these government agencies, like you said, FBI, CIA, NSA, all of them gonna will then that. have our information. Yep. And it's going to be like the Bourne identity where they, uh, if you've ever seen the Bourne movies, where they are Good tracking stuff. people's faces and yep. figuring out who's who and where are people at. And I don't want the government doing that. I'm sure they're already doing that. But why give them more data when uh, we can give them less? Okay, so this story out of LifeSite News is very concerning as well. Speaking of concerning stories... Catholic University exposed for allowing transgender males to live in women's dorms. Transgender males. Oh, man, that is so confusing. I don't even know what they mean here. I, if LifeSite is saying this correctly, I think they say transgender women live yeah. in women's dorms. I think that's probably what they mean. It's confusing. Uh, it says the residence life director of the University of St. Thomas, it's Minnesota, says the school is trying to be inclusive without letting conservative Catholics know. St. Paul, Minnesota, the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota has in the past allowed gender-confused men to live in women's residence halls, according to comments made by the school's residence life director. Now, this is, the, okay, so this is correct. The, whenever the LifeSite headline says transgender men, they mean transgender women, because a transgender woman is a man who identifies as a woman. I know it's confusing. We should not have to deal with this kind of language but we have to try to understand what people are talking about. The director of residence, Zoe Chang, can be seen on a video released by James O'Keefe's new media group, which I think is hilarious that his new media group's titled OMG. Uh, so it's a uh, it's OMG O Media uh, James O'Keefe O Media Group. Um, so that's, that's a cool. new one, yeah. OMG O'Keefe <laughs> Media Group. There you go. Uh, discussing hypothetical situations with undercover journalists who asked about a, quote, trans sister living on campus. Chang told the journalist the gender-confused male would get a discount on a double room as an accommodation. Whoa. Ugh. So that means they're going to give a man who identifies as a woman a room, a dormitory with a actual woman. That's very concerning. It says here, so you've had transgender students come here before, a journalist asked in another part of the video. It is not clear if this comment came chronologically before or after Chang's comments show at the beginning of the clip. A Chang said that she does not tell the students about transgender students living in the dorm. She said there would be a problem from parents who are Catholic and conservative. Why are you letting that happen? Chang hypothesized parents would say. A separate university staffer said in a different phone call that a male student transgenderism would be kept secret from others. So now they're going to keep it a secret that they're having men in the women dorms at St. Thomas in Minnesota. So if you, I thought the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota was a Catholic university, well, you might want to rethink that. If you were sending your kids to the University of St. Thomas, Minnesota, you might want to pull them from it. If you are an alumni of the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota, 
you might want to pull donations and let them know you're disappointed in the university. And now continuing here, it says a separate university staffer said in a different phone call that a male's student's transgenderism would be kept secret from others. Uh. Chang said in another part of the video that a gender-confused male could live with a female without the girl knowing that her roommate was transgender. The journalist tells Chang it is good the university is being inclusive. The resident's life director, while smiling, said the university is trying to move in that direction without being too outward about it. LifeSite News contacted the resident's life office and associate vice president of public relations, Andy Yabara, on Monday morning and asked for comments on the video. How the university ensures all its policies and programming conforms to the Catholic Church's teaching on gender and sexuality. And if there was anything specifically that there would be that was misleading or false in the clip, neither responded to the request for comment. Many such cases. LifeSite News also contacted the Archdiocese of St. Paul and Minneapolis to ask if it could comment on the situation and if it planned to discuss the problem of transgenderism individuals living in the dorm rooms incongruent with the sex at the university. Director of Communications Tom Halden did not respond to the Monday morning email. The university's largely confirmed the substance of the video. Quote, if a student were to voluntarily disclose their transgender identity and ask to have a roommate, our residence life team would take steps to make sure both students are comfortable with the living arrangements while abiding by privacy laws that prevent us from sharing a student's transgender identity without their consent, the university told Tommy Media. The school continued, In our experience, a single room is often the best option for a transgender student. Single rooms are first assigned to students who are granted single room housing accommodations through disability resources. Once those assignments are made, ResLife then assigns the remaining available rooms based on students' requests considering their personal needs. A very concerning story that's coming out of this. So keep that in mind. And remember, not every university that calls itself Catholic is Catholic. Many will say, Lord, Lord, and our Lord will say, I never knew you. How true will that be of Catholic universities? Many universities will say, I'm Catholic, I'm Catholic. And yet they do everything that promotes the perversion of our country. We'll be right back with Catholic Catechisms with Aaron Singh. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. According to the American court system, can a jury of 12 citizens who are of varying moral beliefs, backgrounds, and persuasions objectively deem a person not guilty who actually committed the crime? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, church law. In the same manner, the Apostolic College, who are the unique inheritors of the Catholic Church authority, were also granted that same power. Secondly, certain limitations. The court of 12, called a jury, can only grant acquittal or guilt. The Apostolic College, proceeding from the Twelve Apostles, can declare a third position, that being innocence, different from acquittal. And thirdly, a tough comeback. The jury of twelve wields frightening power that changes lives. The church also wields magnificent power that changes guilt into forgiveness and pardon. Is your Bible church obedient to James chapter 5, which says, Call for the elders of the church, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So if you ask your pastor to provide weekly opportunities to confess sins, will he? Hi, this is Dr. David Anders from EWTN's Call to Communion. I believe that the Ministry of Catholic Radio is one of the greatest tools we have in the church for evangelism today. I hear from people all over the world on a daily basis who have encountered Christ in the Catholic Church for the first time by listening to Catholic Radio. 
please support the ministry of Catholic Radio today. Support Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Tuesday, May 16th in the year of our Lord, 2023. And these are your headlines for this morning. CatholicCulture.org is reporting Father Michael Zacharias, a priest of the Diocese of Toledo, has been convicted of five counts of sex trafficking that involved three male victims. Ordained in 2002, the 56-year-old priest had once served as a vicar of one of the diocese's deaneries. The acts of which Reverend Michael Zacharias has been found guilty are reprehensible, morally deplorable, and manifestly contrary to the dignity due to each human person and the dignity of the priesthood, said Bishop Daniel Thomas of Toledo. LifeSide is reporting the Ugandan parliament this month approved its sweeping anti-sodomy bill after adding provisions ensuring that same-sex attracted people seeking help are not penalized. The president of the African country has stated he would sign the measure after the necessary changes were made. Ugandans will be required by law to report any homosexual acts involving children. Failure to do so could result in five years behind bars or hefty fines equivalent to more than $2,500. The staunchly pro-life president previously promised to sign the measure after he suggested amendments and he has spoken out strongly against what he perceives as Western ideological incursions or what we call imperialism, imperial culturalism on his majority Christian nation. CatholicCulture.org and The Pillar is reporting Vatican financial investigators are downplaying their own eternal corruption. The Vatican investigators rightly takes credit for the generally favorable report the Vatican has received from the international banking examiners. But the European agency Moneyville in that positive review did mention that the Vatican has not effectively, effectively prosecuted perpetrators of financial crimes within its own system. The landmark financial misconduct trial, now continuing before a Vatican tribunal, tests the willingness of the Vatican prosecutors to probe deeply into corruption charges. And finally, Catholic News Agency is reporting a controversial art display at a Manhattan church titled God is Trans, a queer spiritual journey, is undergoing a name and description change, but has not I repeat, not been removed, as was previously reported. News of the exhibit of the St. Church, Church of St. Paul the Apostle in Manhattan was originally reported by the New York Post. A sign accompanying the display said the artwork, a three-painting collection, maps the queer spiritual journey. There is no devil. Fox News Digital reported about this and told CNA Monday that this display is still up at the church. I am Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up today. Joining us right now is Aaron Sang, the founder and president of Tradivox, a amazing little work there. I guess it's not little. It's actually a massive work there, a multi-volume set on Catholic catechisms by, published by Sophia Institute Press. A good morning to you, Mr. Sang. Morning, Adrian. Thanks for having me. Oh, praise be to God. I really enjoy your series of books. I actually uh, subscribe personally to, to the series, and I recommend them often because I think that they are very, very important. Uh, but probably the biggest thing whenever I bring up this series to people is they're saying, wait, there's more than one catechism? And they are absolutely shocked to hear that the catechism of the Catholic Church is not 
the only Catholic catechism in existence. And so could you give us a brief explanation mm -hmm. of the prolific amount of catechisms and kind of where they stand? Because people kind of have this idea that the catechism of the Catholic Church is an infallible document, that everything in it is the, the Word of God and the teachings of the Church, undefiled. Um, but we have a history of many catechisms, and can you explain that situation to us? Sure. Uh, well, in a nutshell, we do. There are many. There are many catechisms in the Catholic tradition. Um, a lot of scholars will kind of debate, you know, where the genre begins as a textual form. Uh, I'd say a common bookend is right after Council Letter in 4, 1215. Uh, this is really where in that council you have a call for uh, not only the Easter duty, as we often refer to it now, you know, the annual uh, reception of Holy Communion, which requires uh, confession of any mortal sins, which in turn requires you know good examination of conscience. And so that council had uh, specific instructions uh, and, and canons really ordered to the regular instruction of the faithful so that they could make a good confession and thus receive our Lord in the Eucharist at least annually. Um, and so after that, <clears throat> is really where you see the beginnings of uh, the confessionals, they're, they're sometimes called, or the confessional manuals. They're these individual little texts, typically handheld, often for intended for the priest. Uh, so in preparing those who are going to receive uh, the Holy Eucharist, they, they are really instruction manuals, one kind or another. Um, that's really where that genre begins as we kind of know it today, which is a single artifact that systematically presents, you know, the truths of the faith. Um, it typically, they will follow, uh, the articles of the Apostles' Creed. That's, that's a kind of standard initial portion. And then often followed up by the commandments, kind of considerations of, uh, the commandments themselves. So the moral life of the Catholic and then the, works or the means of grace. So you'd have a treatise on the sacraments uh, or prayer or both. If not a treatise on grace itself, grace and merit. So that that's kind of the form that we've become accustomed to. But again, in that period, you've got a, a better part of 800 years of, uh, of text. So the Tradivox project is really consists of trying to recover some of these, the, the, the top, the heavy hitters uh, in the English language over the, the better part of the last millennium. And, uh, and then publish those as a kind of a cross-referenceable uh, system. So texts that can talk to each other, uh, kind of give, give witness to that continuity of doctrine across time and space. Well, I really enjoy these different catechisms for a number of different reasons, and one of which is that they all are explaining the same kind of things in various ways, and sometimes they are more in-depth in certain topics and less in-depth in others. They usually cover about the same things, though. And I brought this up to my to my mother, actually, not a couple of weeks ago. I was talk, talking about these different catechisms, and she seemed a little scandalized by the concept. She was saying, oh, well, the the why why is there so many catechisms? They shouldn't we just have one catechism if the teachings of the church don't change and they're the same teachings? Why do they have so many and how do they differ from one another? Uh, so what do you what would you say to that, Mr. Singh? Sure. Uh, it's a it's a batch of questions there. I think the first kind of point of, of surprise and even consternation, uh, she's not alone in that. Um, this is really the the authoring of almost every catechism could <laughs> could the story could begin with that same uh, reaction. Right. Of oh, what do we do? I mean, most catechisms are composed by bishops or at their command. 
uh, by theologians or priests, you know, working at their uh, direction, if not composed by uh, bishops individually. And uh, many, many of them, as you read, you know, they begin with, uh, well, we're we're hoping to kind of address the fact that there are lots of different catechisms in use in our diocese, and uh, we'd like this to be the one that we use, you know, regularly. And so, uh, it's it's the beauty of it, of course, is the is the variety itself. You have these incredible testimonies to not just the the articles of faith, but just like you say, how they're articulated in a particular time and place. Uh, this is one of the most kind of edifying aspects of. The whole catechetical genre is you get to see how these, you know, eminent saints, many of them, and we think of Bellarmine, of course, Canisius, Aquinas, these, these great uh, doctors of the church, many of whom authored catechisms of their own. How did they teach? You know, how, how did they teach the faith in their given time and place? And then how is it clothed, you know, in these different uh, cultural settings? I mean, the, the ones, uh, especially as they go east, you know, the early Jesuits, uh, head east 1500s and you have these incredible catechisms that are you're trying to do work of translation linguistically as well as uh, thematically topically you know or or the jesuits who came to this continent how do you how do you speak to the pagan indigenous who have no concept of a soul who, ha- who have no concept of uh, an eternity or um, guilt Right. That, so even moral culpability. I mean, these Jesuits are, are literally having to invent words, right? <laughs> as, as to impart the faith. So, um, it's, it's an amazing, uh, way of kind of looking at the truths of the faith and then seeing it through this lens of what we could call the ordinary magisterium, the universal ordinary magisterium, how these bishops have taught, uh, these same items, same elements, the same doctrine, the same sense. Uh, across time and space is is really one of the most powerful aspects of the project. Yes, I, I've actually uh, very been very edified by that aspect of it myself, and I've uh, actually done that where I've gotten several of the catechisms, put them side by side, and went through and started reading how they explain a certain topic, and then I'm like, okay, I think this one explains this topic and the way that I think is the best uh, for my circumstance, and then I'll use that to read to other people and explain a situation. So I find it to be very, very useful for that reason. And there are each one of them has kind of its own little flavor. For instance, uh, the uh, the Aquinas Catechism, I really enjoyed that one, but they, they had the obscula on the back of it, like explaining to priests. And I was very edified by seeing these things. saying, yeah, there's in our time we have ignorant priests, and you're like, oh wow, that's that's a shock of uh, the ignorant priest uh, during the in the life of the church that need to be educated. That's uh, interesting in the time of uh, of the third, fourteenth centuries, fifteenth centuries. I think it's very, very fascinating. Uh, we're about to go to a quick break. When we come back, I want to ask uh, about a particular catechism. There's this one catechism that is just absolutely massive and it's formatted in a very strange way it's like the the most peculiar one and i'm curious to know uh what that one is about Uh, plus we're going to talk a lot more about the continuity between the catechisms and maybe maybe compare some uh differences and similarities between them all this coming up on catholic drive time so stay tuned with us and that series the tratty box series published by sophia institute press coming up 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Do you really believe in a secret catching away of the church called the rapture? The pages of your Bible are empty of that type of talk. So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, solid biblical doctrine is time-tested. This rapture idea got its wheels rolling by John Darby in about 1830. I mean, have you heard of a third coming? You know you haven't. Secondly, God's nature. There's no reasonable premise in Scripture, let alone in moral reasoning, for the results of a rapture scenario such as this. A Christian pilot is yanked, raptured, out of his jet, while scores of the remaining passengers who are not Christians violently crash to their death. Meanwhile, said pilot is basking in the presence of God. This is absurd, and believe me, this is preached day in and day out. Thirdly, bad fruit. The preacher at your church says, Tonight, don't you be left in that pew alone while that person next to you gets raptured straight up into heaven. That, my friend, is folly with no foundation. Hey, Donnie, what does the catechism say that the purpose of life is? The no love and serve God to be happy in the next. That's right, so we can be happy with Him in the next life. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children, and if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. We're talking about the Tradivox series with the editor, Aaron Sang. It's published by Sophia Institute Press. I highly recommend it. I keep a couple copies in the office, actually. Uh, the rest of the series I leave at my house. But I keep a couple in the office, particularly this one uh, by the Chaloner catechism because it's really really useful in refuting protestants because he anticipates all the objections that are coming up and he has a whole section he goes can this be proved by scripture and he goes yes and then he lists like a dozen passages of scripture in a row uh, so it's just it's very useful these yeah. the ca different catechisms have different uses and i find them to be very helpful but there's one particular ca particular catechism that is formatted almost like going through salvation history. And Mr. Sang, I'd like to ask you about that catechism in particular. Uh, why is this one so peculiar? Tell me a little bit about this one. And you're, you're muted. Could you uh, unmute your mic one second? There we go. Check, check one. There we, we go. go. We're good. Um, I'm assuming you're, you're referring to Gaum, the great Abbey Gaum. Yes, that's uh, the one. Yeah. The French multi-volume. Yes. So wow. there are, uh, you know, for those that are uh, are surprised to learn about the multiplicity of catechisms in the Catholic tradition, it, it comes as even more of a shock to find that there are several multi-volume uh, catechisms in the Catholic tradition. The One of the first and really the most outstanding example uh, would be the, the Catechism of Perseverance. It's, it's generally referred to as. Um, and this is by the great Abbe Gaum who's a French uh, Monsignor, post-revolutionary France, he, he really begins to wed the, the notion of the catechism in, in itself as a textual artifact with uh, the idea of a full-year curriculum, what we would call now uh, a religious ed program. <laughs> so what, what he's really after is in post-revolutionary France, you have these various kind of totally secular uh, models being presented, especially for the study of history. So you know, every revolution has to erase or significantly rewrite uh, the history that's taught. 
And that's, of course, happening in France in, in a major way. Uh, it's also finding helpful allegiances with uh, the secular sciences that are just beginning to emerge, like the, the study of, uh, say, archaeology, things like this. Um, and so this kind of evolutionary framework is, is working its way into that same curriculum. And Abigail finds that there's a number of dangers to faith kind of buried in that same effort. And so his view with the Catechism of Perseverance was not only to present the truths of the faith kind of in this systematic form, but to do it over the better part of a year and to do it really approaching it from every aspect of education. So he's 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 kind of a Renaissance man in, in many ways. He's a, he's a master of several disciplines, uh, and he tries to really bring all of that to bear on education and the faith. And why the title Perseverance is that his declared intent is to help those persevere in grace that have once entered it. So those who have come into the faith have received baptism, right? Received full sacramental initiation. He, he wants to give them really meat on the bones for continuing their own formation in the truths of the faith and then being able to uh, engage in the world in which they are living, which is vastly different from the Catholic France of just a few generations before. Hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah, I found that one to be so peculiar. I've never seen a, a catechism quite like it. So I found that very interesting. So yeah, that's it. That's fascinating to me. A multi-volume set, kind of a, a catechetical program. Maybe that's a strategy for somebody. If someone wants to get these and uh, do a, a catechetical program at church, that'd be a really cool idea. Let me know if someone does that. I'd be interested to see how that goes. Uh, but here's another thing. Uh, now, many people will say, okay, well, we have these catechisms. They essentially say the same things, but where do they differ if they differ at all? And what would you say about that? Sure. The biggest the biggest aspect of the difference, of course, you already alluded to, which is really the target audience. Uh, so we have, we have texts from, let's say, the Baltimore Catechism. You know, a lot of folks in this country are familiar with that. Uh, it is composed, you know, principally for children, the instruction of children. So obviously it's it's written at a, at a very different comprehension level uh, and with different, let's say, mnemonic devices and, and other tools for memorization. So there are very many catechisms that would fall in that same that same kind of target audience and, and comprehension bracket. Then there are those all the way up to uh, you mentioned Gaum, uh, which, are, of course, for well-formed adults. Uh, but then uh, even beyond that, those that are really intended for priests, uh, like the Catechism of Trent, the Roman Catechism is probably the most outstanding and certainly the most authoritative uh, of those texts. So it's it's a difficult reading. You know, folks oftentimes will ask, well, gosh, I can't wait to get into Catechism of Trent. You know, that's volume seven in the, the Chatterbox <laughs> series. And I say, well, hey, if you're going to start with one, I wouldn't, I wouldn't start with Trent. Uh, it really assumes a lot of uh, philosophical training. There's a lot of terminological uh, use that is going to be familiar to priests, but will be, will be kind of a, a, a non-starter for a lot of lay folks. So, there's um so that's the biggest difference of course is is the target audience intended in terms of the content you know that's actually taught that is one of the most fascinating aspects of the whole project uh there are examples in church history of bad catechisms i i was asked to uh do a piece on that for uh gosh what it was it was crisis magazine i think maybe a couple of years back and uh just speaking to that because there's there's very little uh writing done on that but um but that is a fact. So there, there have been, especially in Jansenist France. Again, we're back to France. I don't know why. Coming <laughs> up, but, um, but in Jansenist France, the time of uh, Saint Therese, the, the great love of of many, uh, one of my patrons, Therese of Lisieux, you have uh, bishops using catechisms as a means to 
really deploy heterodox ideas uh, with regard especially to grace, justification, uh, salvation, so that the Jansenist heresy is uh, is kind of infecting France. And one of the means of doing that is at least formerly Catholic bishops uh, writing catechisms, composing catechisms that themselves uh, contain errors on different points of doctrine. So this this also isn't... Uh, you know, you wouldn't lead with this kind of a anecdote with your your eighth graders kind of a thing, but it's uh, but it's something that that really needs to be held into uh, held into examination. As you have the, the fact is, we have had uh, bishops who have approved texts or promulgated texts for the teaching of faith that have in themselves prima facie errors, uh, if not ambiguities that could be interpreted as such. So that's. So that that has happened uh, in church history a number of times. It is very much so the exception or rather than the norm. That's part of why nobody has ever heard of those catechisms, you know, is that uh, within the space usually of a generation or two, um, they they are so uh, widely attacked, censored, you know, et cetera, that they, they kind of fall out of all knowledge within a few decades. So. Yeah, that makes me think of uh, the Dutch catechism, which was a horrific... <laughs> Uh, invention of, of the of the twentieth century, twenty first century, and uh, the but you know that makes me think also of the kind of uh, reverence that we give the the catechism of the Catholic Church, and that leads me to this question: Is what catechism would you recommend to people who are just reading a catechism for the first time? Would you recommend the catechism of the Catholic Church? Would you recommend the catechism of the Council of Trent, the Baltimore Catechism, or some other one that most people have probably haven't heard of? Uh, where would you say someone should start and why? Oh, this is always the worst question. <laughs> uh, yes, it's. It, it would really, I, I mean, I hate to punt and say it would depend, but if it's somebody who is, let's say, coming into the church, you know, this is a total, this is a total um, uh, wake up. They're, they're starting kind of from square zero. So something you would want to hand off, you know, in really short order. I would probably, I, I would, I would certainly start with something more brief and Q&A. Uh, in its in its form, just because this is cutting edge even for us today, right? You, you notice that all of these search engines—they're all framed around the asking of questions. Right? Well, this is this is amazing. You have Silicon Valley really backing up the catechetical method, you know, of of Q and A, Q and A, really concise. Um, so that's where I would start. Somebody, I would say something like a a Baltimore, a Maynooth, uh, Catechism of Pius the Tenth. Um, there are, there are several of those. Uh, and the Tradovox series, we have several volumes that are multiple catechisms like that in one volume for the for the same reason, uh, so that folks can kind of jump around, you know, in the same in the same physical book and find different presentations uh, of that content. So I would I would certainly start them. The one I probably recommend the most uh, out of our series is Volume Eight, which is a combination of uh, the Catechism of Pius the Tenth, still probably. The most widely, I would say, known and loved of the short Q and A catechisms, um, maybe after Baltimore, you know, in this country. Uh, but but volume eight in the series has the Catechism of Pius X as well as the Catechism of Prasinetti, who's uh, really called the the Italian curé, the Italian curé of ours. He's a he's a venerable, he's an incredible uh, catechist and instructor. And really, he's the inspiration behind the Catechism of Pius X. So Volume 8 has really the top two heavy hitter Italian catechisms of the last, you know, half millennium. 
And, uh, and those two combine, combined together are, are a great, really, presentation of faith. One is super succinct, Pius X. The other one gives a little more detail, and it's uh, it, it has a lot more of the dogmatic definitions also included in the text itself. So that that is probably the one I, I generally recommend the most, is, is Volume 8, Frasinetti with Pius X. Yeah. Very good, very good. And, uh, you know, we spoke to you uh, about a year and a half ago, and you mentioned that one of the things that you would like to do with this series is create a search engine based on these things. Uh, mm-hmm. Has that developed at all? What is the update on that kind of story? That is still in process. We are we are working toward that right now. The biggest aspect of the project is volume 20 of the hardback series, because that that essentially will be uh, what the search engine is in electronic form, mm-hmm. uh, which is just a giant metadata tagging process of getting all of these catechisms to talk to each other, where volume 20 uh, comes in is is precisely that it is a freestanding index. So in many ways, it will be uh, a catechism unto itself because it'll be a systematic index. One of the uh, indices will be systematic, and then the, and then as well as a topical, which is kind of a an alphabetical, you know, walk through the specific topics. So so that's really where it stands. Is it's it is awaiting the uh, the debut of volume twenty. Uh, we're hoping for that in the next year and a half. So. All right. Well, I'm excited for it. I'm looking forward to hearing it. I know I'm a subscriber to the series and I get them every other month and I'm always very excited to see them come in the mail. Uh, Last question. Where can people get in touch with you? Where can people find out more information and purchase the series if they'd want to uh, pitch all that? Sure. Everything really all of the above can be at our website, www.tradivox.com, T-R-A-D-I-V-O-X.com. You can learn more about the project. Uh, see uh, his excellency's endorsements of the work. He's our our uh, episcopal head of the project, Bishop Athanasius Schneider. Um, and then order the volumes. Uh, get in touch with with our uh, staff volunteers, etc. All righty, that's going to do it for the first hour of Catholic Drive Time. Check out Tradivox. It's a great series. I can't recommend it enough. But that's going to do it for the first hour. If you can join us in the next hour, we're going to be talking frequent confession about with Father Bauer. All this coming up and more on Catholic Drive Time right after this break. I was raised a Catholic and went to church every Sunday faithfully. I met a boy and he was non-Catholic, so I left the church to be with him. When I was away from church, I yearned to be home. What brought me back was my longing for the Eucharist. The Eucharist fills me with the spirit that you can't find anywhere else. I have a peace when I walk through the doors of the Catholic Church, like that's where I belong. We invite you to take another look at the Catholic Church. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. What's your go-to for interpreting the Bible? You go on Sinatra, he did it his way, or you go on Magisterium, we're doing it the Apostles' way. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. The Magisterium. What's that? That's the indisputable 2,000-year teaching authority of the Church. The Catechism says, the task of giving an authentic interpretation of the Word of God has been entrusted to the living teaching office of the Catholic Church alone. Secondly, a stark contrast. Again, the Catechism says, the Magisterium is not 
not superior to the Word of God, but it is its servant. In contrast, the megachurch pastors are coming up with some crazy stuff. They tell us, quote, God is doing a new thing, or the Lord spoke to me this. Humorously, out from all of this, they become their own pseudo-magisterium. And thirdly, Mr. Sinatra, your voice and your music in the 40s swooned my mother. But with lofty lyrics and a lot of ego, your advice from the 1975 hit, I did it my way, falls short. Come on, let's get under the comforting shade of the magisterium. your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to share your Catholic faith with one another. Wouldn't it be great if everyone eagerly shared their faith? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Your connection to our treasured Catholic faith all day, every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Has Catholic Radio blessed you? Bless a friend. Tell them to listen to AM 1430 KSHJ Catholic Radio for Houston. Confession today. It's very interesting to me. There was this book that I've been reading. I've read it in the past, but I started reading it again. And this book is Frequent Confession by Father Bauer. The book was originally written in 1922, and it's been republished many times since then. The uh, back of the book here, it says, Frequent Confessions presents convincing and strong evidence for the benefits of frequent reception of the sacrament of penance for the health and growth of the spiritual life of all the faithful. To win the battle of souls, the best strategy often is to bide one's time and apply the subtle remedy with patience and perseverance. So wrote Jose Maria Scriva, the founder of Opus Dei. The book is divided into two parts. The first shows the purpose and practice of confession from the aspect of confessor and penitent. The second examines the many areas where confession applies. Now, this book is very, very interesting to me. And the part here on venial sins is particularly of interest to me because it's a very common it's a very common thing for people to say, oh, well, you know, I'm not committing any venial or I'm only committing venial sins, rather. And they're saying it's no big deal. I'm choosing to do venial sins, and but it's not a big deal because they're venial sins. Therefore, I shouldn't worry about it. I can freely commit as many venial sins as I want, as long as they don't become mortal. And this is an erroneous position. And I'm not here to say that I'm perfect because I'm definitely not. I'm not here to say that I don't commit venial sins because I definitely do. And these, these kind of things, that's not, it's not, that's not quite what it's about. What it's about is freely choosing it, of saying, I want to commit venial sins and I do not want to change because I think they're not so bad. Now, that is a, not a good position to hold because it can be dangerous to your soul. It can be dangerous to your soul for many reasons. So Father Bauer writes about venial sins here and kind of sets out an explanation for what venial sins are and why those two offend God so greatly. Now here in chapter seven, 
He says, there is mortal sin, namely sin that by its very nature cuts us off from God and destroys our supernatural life. And that unless repented of and forgiven while we are still here on earth will separate us from God for eternity. There is also venial sin, namely sin that by its nature is such that it does not cut us off from God, does not separate us eternally from God, and does not condemn us to eternal death and damnation. This is the teaching of the church as opposed to the exorbitant exaggerations of Calvin and bias. And the scripture says verily true, a just man shall fall seven times and shall rise again. And again, there is no just man upon earth that doth good and sinneth not. St. John writes, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Our own experience confirms this too, for even when we know that we are free from grievous sin, we have to acknowledge humbly every day our sinfulness and implore God to forgive us our trespasses. And we all must say, I confess to Almighty God, the Blessed Ever Virgin, and to you and to all the saints that I have sinned exceedingly in thought, word, and deed. I think it's interesting here. It's the, the old confidio where he puts in here. It may not always be a question of deliberate, fully intended venial sins committed with full knowledge and consent, such as deliberate neglect of the duties of the one state in life, squandering of time, sensuality of various kinds, insincerity of speech and behavior, secret hankerings after honor, secret vanity, uncharitableness in thought or word or deed. There are also what we call semi-deliberate venial sins, which are committed without full attention or else without full freedom. Sins committed through impetuousy, impetuousity, or because we are taken off guard. There are especially sins of omission. Who is there, no matter how earnestly he is striving to lead a good life, who has not so ha, not to reproach himself with being wanting in something or other, with having failed to do as much as he could, with not having prayed or made sacrifice or striven to overcome himself as he should have done. Thus the words of Scripture remain true. There is no just man upon earth that doth good and sinneth not. Only on one human being was that privilege bestowed of spending a whole lifetime without ever committing the smallest sin of any kind. On Mary, the Virgin Mother of God, that indeed is a teaching of the Church and the Council of Trent, Session 6, Chapter 23. Venial sin is also real sin, even if it is essentially different from mortal sin. This latter is such an offense against God that it separates a sinner from him irrevocably and forever. It leads to the eternal loss of God. Venial sin, on the other hand, does not thus cut man off from God. In spite of venial sin, he can continue on the way to God and attain to the possession of him. But it is a fatal mistake. Notice here, he says, a fatal mistake. Though one that is sometimes made today even by Catholics to regard venial sin and even deliberate venial sin as something harmless, trifling, of no account, as something not forbidden, but rather tolerated patiently by God. No. Venial sin, though entirely different from mortal sin, is nevertheless sin. That is, a free and deliberate 
transgression against the command of God, even if it is a command of a something of a lesser moment. We tell a lie in regard to some matter that it is not in itself very important. By so doing, we act against the commandment given by God, thou shalt not bear false witness. We know that this commandment exists. We are aware of it at the time, though thou shalt not bear false witness even in a trivial matter. And nevertheless, we tell a lie to avoid some embarrassment or inconvenience. Our own advantage, our own reputation is more important to us at this moment than God's command. When then do we, when do we do when, what, sorry then, what then do we do when we commit venial sin? We put our wishes, our own interest, our own gratification above God's commands and God's interest. That is what venial sin is, putting God's commands and God's will second to our own interests, dishonoring God, treating God badly, offending the great and holy God and Lord. Venial sin is ungratefulness to him from whom we have received everything. It is disobedience to him whom we should serve wholeheartedly and to whom we should devote our whole lives. Because of our sins, God can no longer love us as he could and would if we had kept ourselves free from transgressions. He has to withhold the choicest graces he intended to give us. He force, we force him to act thus. We know that but we do not care. We are more interested in some momentary gratification of our inordinate desires and our self-love than in God's love and grace. We cannot muster enough love for God and for Christ to enable us to overcome ourselves, magnanimously say no to something. Our love is not perfect. It will not go the whole way. It is wanting in fervor, in fidelity, in tenderness. Such is venial sin." Now, it goes on and explains venial sin in much more depth. It explains how it weakens your soul and how it predisposes us to mortal sin and how it gives us a glance at evil, all these different things. And it talks about it. And then after, the book goes in on how to overcome venial sin, but we just don't have enough time to go through all of that. However, I want to make one point here. Here it says, what is venial sin, essentially? In its most essential form, what is venial sin? It is to put God second. It is ungratefulness to him. Those two things are the things that we should let ring in our minds. It is to put God second and to put and to be ungrateful to God. And this thing is something that's important to us because everything is lost when we put primary things secondary and secondary things primary. That's when things fall apart. That's when marriages fall apart. That's when friendships fall apart. That's when your job falls apart. That's when your finances fall apart. That's when your life falls apart. When you put secondary things first and primary things second. And when your soul falls apart, that's when you put God second and you are not grateful for the things of God. And now, like I said, I, I'm not saying this to condemn people and to say that other people are, are unholy and bad, but to say that this is an accusation against myself as well. How many times have I committed venial sin? How many times have I committed venial sin that led to mortal sin? 
How many times have I refused to uh, go to confession and confess venial sins out of embarrassment? Or if I would have gone to confession for venial sins, then maybe I would never have fallen into mortal sin. And this is why we should have frequent confession. Uh, I try to go once a week, and I and not kind of some scrupulous attitude where I'm like, oh, if I don't go once a week, I'm going to hell. But more, I know I am weak. Therefore, I need the grace of the sacrament of confession to remain free from mortal sin so I can confess my venial sins and be repentant. What are your thoughts, uh, Tito? Yeah, the, con- act- <clears throat> the sacrament of confession is so underused in our church. It is a beautiful sacrament to have, especially if you want to work on your vices and increase your virtues. I, I, I stated earlier uh, certain uh, what a, a mortal sin and certain venial sins kept occurring, and I would go, I would go once a week, pretty much like like you are, and I still try to go once a week on Fridays, and and it just chips away, it chips away. Eventually, not all of them yet, but I'm getting there. But uh, that mortal sin has been conquered. I have some venial sins, a couple of venial sins that I'm still, I'm still latched on, and and I need to chip away. And and to and in a short, dirty summary of of how uh, dirty in a good way, of, of what you were talking about. You know, small sins lead to big sins. So if you if you do the little things right, you do the right the big things right. And so. Uh, I cannot say enough about going to confession. It, it, and whether it's your first time or you've gone there a million times, it never fails. When you walk out of that confessional, you feel a load off your mind, off your soul. That is a, that is a supernatural, I think it's supernatural, a supernatural uh, lifting of the weight of the world off your shoulders. It is a beautiful thing. And... Uh, I, I can't say enough about that. I, if if you're if you don't know how, if you can't find a spiritual director, if if there's priests that are, that are struggling to help you with your with your vices, the basics right there. Go to confession. Just do it. Go over there. Confess your sins. Dig it out. Get one of those those confessional cards that that digs deep into the Ten Commandments and 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 other uh, vices and and just go in there full throttle. You want to get rid of it. That is where you go. Priests are trained to forget everything uh, that they hear the moment they they absolve you, and uh, don't hesitate. Do not be afraid. Jump in there with both feet and get it done. It is you will not regret it. Yeah, it's a it's a very beautiful thing, the sacrament of confession, and uh, like Tito said, it's unutilized. How how many churches do you go to where the confession lines are much much shorter than the communion lines? It's very concerning to me because I'm thinking about myself. I'm like, man, if I don't go to confession every week, I'm not going to go receive communion because, gee whiz, I am just not ready for it. I'm not ready to receive communion. I'm not not disposed enough to receive communion. Amen. And yet I see lines, and maybe everyone else is just perfect, and I'm the only sinner in the world. But um, I hope that's not true. Oh, man, <laughs> that'd be terrible. But... Uh, nonetheless, I, I, it's constant. I see it all the time, everywhere I go. Long communion Everybody lines. receives communion. Mm-hmm. Everyone receives communion, but there's only 30 minutes of confession a week. So something to keep in mind, something to think about, something to pray about, something to put in your schedule. Now we're going to go into our game show, Fear and Trembling. If you want to win a prize, all you have to do is call in right now, 877 757 
757-9424. That's the number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we give out prizes and you could win 877-757-9424. Call now. We'll be right back with Fear and Trembling right after this. Catholic Radio played a huge part in my life in helping me understand the faith. It was like one of the biggest things, and I still listen all the time. I have the bumper sticker on my viola case. People see it, and they're, oh, Catholic Radio. It's the best thing ever. It changed my life. Catholic Radio is amazing. Please support Catholic Radio. It's just an amazing resource. So much you can learn there. So much inspiration to actually live out your faith. It's just incredible. I love Catholic Radio. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Have you ever replaced pronouns in the Bible such as who, whom, whosoever, ye, you, etc., and replaced those words with your name and therefore you personalize the Bible to yourself? Do you do that? Is that a safe way to read the Bible? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, Bible complexity. Mechanics study motors. Architects study design. Linguists study syntax. But for the most part, Christians don't study the how-tos of safe biblical interpretation called hermeneutics. Secondly, Aquinas. In the Summa, we see the caution. Aquinas says of the Bible, quote, the manner of its speech transcends every science because in one and the same sentence, while it describes a fact, it reveals a mystery and thirdly, a tough comeback. I know it seems plausible to simply say the Bible is a love letter straight from God to humanity, but wait a minute. A sentence or a paragraph in a love letter has context. Yes, with great caution, we can personalize some context, but remember, when you're at the central figure in the Bible, God God isn't, and that's just wrong. Hey, Donnie, name four of the seven sacraments. Baptism, confession. That's right, reconciliation. Communion and confirmation. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. <laughs> the Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424-877-757-9424. That's the number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we give out prizes and you could win. That number, 877-757-9424. Call now. The, you're maybe asking, what am I listening to? How does this game work? What are we talking about? Well, this is the Fear and Trembling Game Show. It's a Catholic trivia game show where I have three Catholic trivia questions, but the trick is I'm not going to ask you the questions. No, I'm going to ask Tito the questions, and he's going to give me an answer. It's your job to tell me whether or not he's right or whether or not he's wrong. That gives you a 50-50 chance of getting the question right no matter what. So a very, very good chance of you being able to get the answer correct. And every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Tito, what could they win? Thank you, Adrian. They can win the Fear and Trembling Prize for this week is a book from Catholic Answers. Revolt Against Reality, Fighting the Foes of Sanity and Truth. From the Serpent 
to the state. In Revolt Against Reality, Gary Mashuda explains how an army of liars, manipulators, and bad actors has conspired from the beginning to thwart God's plan for man, a plan of order and peace centered on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Available now from Catholic Answers. Well, thank you very much to Catholic Answers for your sponsorship. But if you want to call in, we always take the first caller. And I'm looking over on my left, and the phone lines are completely open. So the next person to pick up their phone and dial 877-757-9424 will be our contestant. That number again, 877-757-9424. And we always take the first caller on the line. And it looks like the couple callers are coming through right now. And if you do not get on today, well, make sure that you get on, that you put us in your speed dial. That way that we can uh, put you on in the future. So make sure you put that number in your speed dial, 877-757-9424. Thank you to everybody who called in. Uh, but we always take the first caller. So if you did not come on, make sure you call in again this week. Uh, we always have the phone lines open at about 7 a.m. So if you want to hop on early and wait on hold, you are welcome to do so. You can just hop on and just hang out with us, and we'll get to you as soon as we can. And that's always something that you are able to do. Uh, but joining us right now is Todd. Good morning to you, Todd. Good morning. How are you guys? I'm doing well. Praise be to God. I'm too blessed to be stressed, too anointed to be disappointed. And if grace was money, I'd be a millionaire. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, Todd, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Missouri City. Missouri City. Praise be to God. Missouri City. That's in the greater Houston area, no? Yeah, yeah. West uh, west of Houston. Yeah, praise be to God. I, I figured that was the greater Houston area. We We like... Uh, Houston, as a as a native Houstonian myself, I'm like the only native Houstonian in all of Houston. I'm pretty sure, my um, everyone I know, everyone in the office certainly is not from Houston. That's right. Uh, but uh, are you are you a native Houstonian by chance? I am not. I'm originally from Louisiana, but I've been here uh, 35 years, so I'm a Texan now. There you go. There you go. And you know what they say? I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as soon as I could. And uh, we we Texans like our uh, our people coming from. The great states around us, especially those uh, Louisianians, we oh, get, yeah. uh, get a lot of those come through uh, through Houston, and we we love it. We love it because you know why? Food. Exactly. Yeah. They bring good food. Exactly. <laughs> Black and alligator. Uh-huh. Yeah, baby. Uh huh. Exactly. So that's uh, so we always appreciate these these foreigners coming into Texas because they bring good food. <laughs> we love foreign food. There you go. Well, thank you very much for calling in, Todd. Where are you off to this morning? I'm off to work. Praise be to God. Uh, what's work? Is it uh, you're you're in Missouri City? That's not too far from. Uh, let's see, NASA. You're, I'm sure you're heading down to uh, Webster area for to work at uh, work on a rocket or something like that. Yeah, I know I sound like a uh, a scientist, but I'm not. I work in the uh, restaurant business. There you go. There you go. Praise be to God. Well, Todd. Well, are you ready to play the game? Are you familiar with how the game works? I, I am uh, slightly familiar, yes. 
All right. Well, real quickly, I'll get through the, the rules one more time. It's uh, very simple, very easy. I'm looking at the questions, too, and I think you're going to do well today. The I have three Catholic trivia questions, and I'm not going to ask you the questions. I'm going to ask Tito the questions. He's going to give me an answer, and it's your job to tell me whether or not he's right or whether or not he's wrong, which means you have a 50-50 chance. Even if you don't know anything about the question, if you just guess, you have a 50-50 chance of getting it correct. So are you ready to play the game? I'm ready. Let's do it. Tito, question number one. Yeah. Question numero uno. Does the Vatican City State produce its own stamps? Produce its own stamps. Wow. Do they still do that? Uh, I know they do. Produce it. I I would take, I would say yes, knowing how uh, the Vatican so not quickly adapts to the, to the times of the, that we're in, and uh, I need to learn how to speak. But uh, yes, the Vatican City State does produce its own stamps. Okay. Nice ones, too. Okay, you're saying yes. You're going yes. with yes. I'm okay. going with C. You're going with yes. He's going yes. with yes. Todd, 15 <laughs> seconds on the clock. The question on the board, does the Vatican City State produce its own stamps? Tito seems to think the answer is yes. And I'm saying, I don't know, man. Don't they just use Italy's stamps? I don't Whatever. But uh, what say you, Todd, from Missouri City? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he's right. He's going to say you're right. That is correct, Todd. Praise be to God. You are, in Good fact, one, correct. Uh, they do produce stamps, and they tend to be pretty cool looking. I know some people like, collect the, yes. Vatican, the Vatican stamps because they're just kind of cool. Um, but there you go. You're, you are uh, 100% correct so far today. And it's a, it's a good record to start off with, one for one. Are you ready for question number two? I am ready. Let's do it. Question number two. Tito, why can we not see God? Uh, we would burn. Oh. But, uh, well, he's uh, God's in heaven, so um, that's why we can't see him up in the sky. Oh. So you're saying that like, if, he, if he just came down, we'd be able to see him? Yeah, but I think uh, we would all be incinerated because his glory is so so bright, you oh, know? Interesting. Yeah, so he's in heaven to keep us safe. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, interesting theory. Interesting theory. All righty, Todd. 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, why can we not see God? Tito seems to think because he's in heaven, he stays up in heaven because... Uh, He's too bright. He'd hurt our eyes if he came down here and light us on fire. Uh, so he stays up in, in heaven. Uh, 15 seconds on the clock, Todd. What say you? Is he right? Is he wrong? What say you, Todd, from Missouri City? I think he's wrong. He thinks you're wrong. Huh. Way to go, Todd. That is correct. He is, in fact, wrong. That is not the correct answer. The correct answer is because God is a spirit. And so we cannot see him with bodily eyes. However, you know, there's got to be a distinction that's made. You can see the person of Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate. uh, But God in his nature, you cannot see for God as a spirit. Yep. So there you go. You are correct, Todd. Good one, Todd. You're doing very well. Clearly, Todd is not a scientist. He's a theologian. Yeah, he's on a rage, Uh man. Uh Uh-huh. That's what I'm noticing. All right, Todd, you are two for two. You are at a 100% success rate so far. Uh, Let's see. Can we keep the streak going? Uh, Are you ready for question number three? 
I am ready. So let's do it. Question numero trace. Do you know what, what language trace is? Trace. Trace. Uh, Japanese. Uh, close. It's actually Creole. Creole? Yes, Creole for three. Oh. Yeah, so don't fact check me. Don't fact check me on that. Don't fact check me on that. The question is, what English word is derived from ite misa est, the closing words of the Roman liturgy? The closing words, ita, misa est. I love that part of the Mass, uh, frankly, because it's in Latin, and secondly, because I'm a history buff, and I always wanted to know where Mass came from, and I actually did look that up a long time ago when I returned, and I said, nice, very nice. Uh, the, uh, what English word? It's Mass. The misa part in ita misa est is okay. where it comes from. Okay, so the, the priest goes up and he goes, ita misa est, and it means mass. Yes, okay, so, got so it. much better got in it. Gregorian chant. All righty, Todd, 15 seconds on the clock. The question is, what English word is derived from ita misa est, the closing words of the Roman liturgy? Uh, Tito seems to think the word is where we get the word mass from. What say you, Todd, from Missouri City? Well, I know, uh, I know Father says the mass is in the going peace, so I'd say mass is correct. Right. He's going to say correct. And you are right. Three for three, Todd. Wow. Praise be to God. You, awesome. sir, are clearly a man of genius, a man who is well-studied. I'm sure he's read all the catechisms. Goodness. He's a very intelligent man. He's got a Way PhD. to go, Todd. How do you feel? I feel like I get to skip collection this week. Man. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, Todd. There you go. Uh, don't tell Father. I didn't. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Uh, you guys said it was okay. Fourteen thirty said okay to skip collection because I got it all right. <laughs> well, stay on the line, Todd. Uh, we're going to get your contact information so that way we can contact you if your name be drawn on Friday. But you're in the Coffee Cup of Divine Providence three times. But God bless you. God love you. And happy Easter. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the show. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Stay on hold. And that's going to do it for the radio side. But if you can join us for the after show, join us in the after show. We will go on YouTube, Rumble, Odyssey, Twitter, Facebook. And interact with you directly. But if not, we'll see you back here at 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. The Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. All of our listeners on Guadalupe Radio Media and for all those joining us online. Ye watchers and ye holy ones, 
Bright seraphs, cherubim, and thrones, raise the glad strain, Alleluia. Cry out, dominions, princedoms, powers, virtues, archangels, angel choirs, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Alleluia, Alleluia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins, and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my th thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. Grant, almighty and merciful God, that we may in truth receive a share in the resurrection of Christ your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. The crowd in Philippi joined in the attack on Paul and Silas, and the magistrates had them stripped and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After inflicting many blows on them, they threw them into prison and instructed the jailer to guard them securely. When he received these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and secured their feet to a stake. About midnight, while Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God as the prisoners listened, there was suddenly such a severe earthquake that the foundations of the jail shook. All the doors flew open, and the chains of all were pulled loose. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors opened wide, he, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, thinking that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted out in a loud voice, do no harm to yourself. We are all here. He asked for a light and rushed in and, trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you and your household will be saved. So they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to everyone in his house. He took them in at that hour of the night and bathed their wounds. Then he and all his family were baptized at once. He brought them up into his house and provided a meal, and with his household rejoiced at having come to faith in God. The word of the Lord.
Your right hand saves me, O Lord. Your right hand saves me, O Lord. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, with all my heart, for you have heard the words of my mouth. In the presence of the angels, I will sing your praise. I will worship at your holy temple and give thanks to your name. Your right hand saves me, O Lord. Because of your kindness and your truth, you have made great above all things your name and your promise. When I called, you answered me. You built up strength within me. Your right right hand hand saves me, O Lord. Your right hand saves me. The Lord will complete what he has done for me. Your kindness, O Lord, endures forever. Forsake not the work of your hands. Your right right hand hand saves me, O Lord. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. I will send to you the Spirit of truth, says the Lord. He will guide you to all truth. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus said to his disciples, Now I am going to the one who sent me, and not one of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I told you this, grief has filled your hearts. But I tell you the truth, it is better for you that I go. For if I do not go, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world in regard to sin and righteousness and condemnation. Sin because they do not believe in me. Righteousness because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. Condemnation because the ruler of this world has been condemned. The Gospel of the Lord. morning's passage from the gospel according to John we hear Jesus telling his apostles it is better for you if I go because when I go I will send to you the advocate suppose if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus's apostles in that very moment when Jesus says it's better for you if I go we can imagine they probably would be shaking their head rather violently in protest saying Jesus it is not better for us if you go we want you to stay with us always We have to consider what the mission of the Advocate is or what the mission of the Holy Spirit is. Because ultimately when Jesus ascends back to the Father and they send the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in the formation and birth of the Church, the primary mission of the Church is ultimately, and the primary mission of the Holy Spirit, really is to make Jesus Christ present in all places at all times and to continue his saving ministry among the people of today among the people throughout all of history. I suppose we could look at it this way. If we were living in Corpus Christi, Texas, or wherever you are in this particular moment 2,000 years ago, your chance of meeting Jesus and encountering him would have been zero. He was over in the Holy Land. He was in Palestine. He was in Jerusalem. He wasn't here in South Texas or wherever you're listening from. Today, 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, wherever the church is present, wherever the sacraments are celebrated, we have the possibility to have a living encounter with Jesus Christ. And as such, it's better that Jesus went because in sending the Holy Spirit now, all peoples in all places have access to be able to encounter Jesus Christ in a living relationship. Because if we believe that in faith, we could ask ourselves the question, if we knew Jesus was going to be coming down the street to be giving a talk at a local church, we probably all would be flocking there and saying, boy, I can't wait to get there to be able to meet Jesus, to be able to hear him speak. And in faith, we're called to be reminded in ourselves to have our hearts stirred to say, every time Mass is celebrated is a living encounter with Jesus, to hear his word, to receive him sacramentally, body, blood, soul, and divinity. It's a living encounter with Jesus. Every time we go to confession, it's an opportunity to encounter his mercy and forgiveness, just as he was forgiving people 2,000 years ago. Really, the entire sacramental system is predicated upon living encounters with Jesus Christ that give us access to his saving ministry that help us on the road to salvation. This is really the gift of what the church is. This is the gift of the advocate, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus sends to perpetuate and continue his saving mission among the peoples in all times, in all places throughout the course of history. And so today, my brothers and sisters, as we go forward, let's give thanks to God for the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus sends to us. We know in faith that the Spirit is present at this Mass to transform the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. Let us ask that we would treat each of our sacramental encounters as truly being a living encounter with Jesus Christ in faith, where we have the opportunity to experience his healing and saving ministry. Amen. Dear brothers and sisters, filled with paschal joy, let us pray more earnestly to God that he who graciously listened to the prayers and supplications of his beloved Son may now be pleased to look upon us in our lowliness. For the shepherds of our souls, that they may have the strength to govern wisely the flock entrusted to them by the Good Shepherd, let us pray to the Lord. For the whole world, that it may truly know the peace given by Christ, let us pray to the Lord. For our brothers and sisters who suffer, that their sorrow may be turned to gladness which no one can take from them, let us pray to the Lord. For our own community, that it may bear witness with great confidence to the resurrection of Christ, let us pray to the Lord. We pray for the repose of the soul of Deacon Randy Matters. We pray to the Lord and for those intentions that we hold in our heart. We pray to the Lord. O God, who knows that our life in this present age is subject to suffering and need, hear the desires of those who cry to you and receive the prayers of those who believe in you through Christ our Lord.
Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine and work of human hands, it will become our spiritual drink. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Grant, we pray, O Lord, that we may always find delight in these Paschal mysteries, so that the renewal constantly at work within us may be the cause of our unending joy through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, at all times to acclaim you, O Lord. But in this time above all, to laud you yet more gloriously, when Christ our Passover has been sacrificed. Through him the children of light rise to eternal life, and the halls of the heavenly kingdom are thrown open to the faithful. For his death is our ransom from death, and in his rising the life of all has risen. Therefore, Overcome with Paschal joy, every land, every people exalts in your praise. And even the heavenly powers with the angelic host sing together the unending hymn of your glory as they acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus.
Felicity, Perpetua, Agatha, Lucy, Agnes, Cecilia, Anastasia, and all your saints. Admit us, we beseech you into their company, not weighing our merit, but granting us your pardon through Christ our Lord, through whom you continue to make all these good things, O Lord. You sanctify them, fill them with life, bless them, and bestow them upon us. Peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other a sign of peace. Are you An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, 
I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you are, were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Hear, O Lord, our prayers, that this most holy exchange by which you have redeemed us may bring your help in this present life and ensure for us eternal gladness through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go and announce the gospel. The Prayer to St. Michael St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. 
from hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy that thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Spreading the splendor of truth. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. My name is Catherine and Valerie and Sarah.